Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you. Yeah. Well, welcome had, to the show. Yeah, heck of a storm just blew through here right before I called or got on uh, the program. Uh, oh. We had a heck of a storm for about a half hour. It just poured, thundered, and lightning and stuff. So, but it looks like it's gone now. Yeah. I hope. Can tell which way it was moving. I'll, I'll probably see it here. I think it was moving west. <laughs> But okay. that doesn't mean that it won't back up and cut around to you because Or maybe it maybe it has friends that are coming up a little late and it's behind it. It could. It's very very yeah. possible. Very possible. <laughs> Not quite as bad as the Carolinas, but yes, very possible. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we'll deal with it when we hear it. Yeah. Typical. Speaking of Carolinas, our thoughts are still with them and all the way around. The storm has passed all the way up into New England now. So uh, Flo is visiting New England before going out to sea. Uh, yeah, that's the last, last word I got. So, in wow. fact, I've got got something here about Flo while we're while we're on the subject of of, of her. Uh, let me see if I can't find it here real fast. Why is that? I got papers and notes all over the place here that I do before the show, and and uh, why is that not around? Wait a minute. Uh, huh. I can't find it right now. Oh well, I guess I won't. Since we're talking about it, talk about it because I can't find it. Uh, well, hmm. oh well. Uh, it has to be one of these two, but it's not that one. I was talking about the rains from flow and how it affected the vineyards. Ah, well. Crap. Like I said, I had it all here and I can't can't find it now. I knew I just had it. Uh, hmm. Oh oh well. I will I will run across I will search for it. I will find it here. So, um welcome to the show. This is September 20th, 2018, 7.04 Eastern Time. If that is the time and the date that you're listening, give us a call. Uh, we'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, if that is not the time and date, don't give us a call because we <laughs> won't answer. <laughs> there, will, there will not be people standing by, operators standing by. Um, and... Let's see. I'm trying to look in trash here. That that, that upsets me that I lost that one thing too. That should that should be here. And I want to I want to tell about that too. But that was from the twentieth. Let's see. Eighteen nineteen. Oh, it's not here either. 
How can I have? Don't have that. Oh well. All right. Um, so, hope everyone is doing well. Uh, one thing Mike and I didn't talk about before the show, we were talking. I was sick most of last, you know, from the time we got the show last Thursday until just a couple of days ago. I, I've been really sick. I had a, one of those summer f- cold bugs. It wasn't the flu, it was just summer cold. And, and I just suffered through it. But a couple of days from now, we start autumn. And so. You know, I was told I was going to tell Mike I didn't get a chance. He needs to dig out his parka and long johns and absolutely all this stuff because it's <clears throat> it's almost on us here. I mean, our our it's going to get cold mighty fast. I mean, Saturday like like down into the eighties, maybe upper nine or upper eighties, maybe that upper eighties. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. I think the wow. nights might even break that eighty mark and drop down to seventy nine. No. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I know. I just I can feel the chill in the air already. I just, yeah. At that uh, time, it, it's it's getting to be that time of the year where I'm I'm glad that my car has heated seats because I like to you know I hit it on the the maximum setting when it's you know gets below the 90s or so and and just, just yeah, no. to to get that warmth again. It, it the car is amazing to to do that. So uh, it's yeah, great. Whoever invented okay. that, thank you very much. We need that down in Florida. Uh, yeah, I'm envious. What a, what a great am, addition. <laughs> yeah, I, I am envious. No question, I am envious. Yeah, 78, um, 80-something. Yeah, yeah. You, you, once you hit that, you know, I mean, you know, when we start hitting our, our winter lows of, of 72, that heated seat is really going to come in helpful. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. so I, I do. I, I'm jealous of your heated seats. <laughs> <laughs> Here I found it. How about that? Okay. Uh, uh, Phineas DeFord, owner and manager of Bordy Vineyards in Haynes, Maryland, said, we're looking forward to putting this year behind us. And you can't blame him with all the rains on there. Uh, they have two vineyards, one in Long Green Vineyard, uh, which is that's winery just north of Baltimore and South Mountain vineyard located in the Blue Ridge Mountains in western Virginia, and they have been impacted with weather this summer. Hurricane Florence has moved through and added uh, all sorts of moisture to the ground and to the soil and everything. Uh, Harvest is not as far along in Virginia as it is in uh, some of the other areas, and because of that, there's uh, a, a lot of wet ground. And a lot of wet ground makes it a pain to harvest. Uh, let me tell you, uh, I've seen the results. When you get wet ground, if you do mechanical harvesting, you can't. It, it just, it's impossible. The machine doesn't, uh, it, you know, get stuck and start sliding. And you can't do it. So you have to get people out there. And then they get you know, knee deep and almost literally in uh, the mud and all that. Uh, Tony Wolf, professor of viticulture at the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and uh, State University uh, says that primarily because of the conveyor belt of moisture that has went through the state this year, they've had more than 40 inches of rain in Winchester, 20 inches in May and June, and more than 20 inches uh, since the grapes have gotten ripe. Uh, they expect the grapes to be juicy, but not a lot of flavor because of that. Some of the growers are already picking the reds early uh, to make a rosé. Yields are down a little bit, and they're all fighting downy mildew because of the rains. I mean, when you get so much rains, it's hard to keep the grapes clusters dry enough so that, and also it's hard to keep the canopies clean so that the scent can go in there. So they've had, uh, Wolf said they've had three days of great weather in a row and these weather conditions call for uh, future weather conditions call for veiled sunshine which means basically clouds again and predicting showers coming up this weekend so it's uh, not getting any better uh, for them the uh, uh, Jennifer McLeod owner of Chrysalis Vineyards in Middleburg Virginia says it's been a wet season and they've been super diligent about spring. 
they have a huge crop of Norton, which is pretty resistant to diseases, but uh, this year they've had to spray even those because of all the moisture and all the uh, rains causing the moistures, which causes the, uh, again, the mildew and stuff. They've uh, picked the whites and then hoping that the reds will be ready soon here, but they said since it's only middle end of September, they hope that it's going to get a little bit drier before they have to pick. A uh, uh, Deford at Bordy Vineyard said the winery saw steady rain on September 17th, and it has been continuous uh, for like two days, uh, if not heavy, then light. So it has been some nasty, nasty rains there, and it's been affecting the vineyards. Uh, there, uh, most of the white varieties at Long Green Vineyards have been picked, but uh, some of them, some of the reds are still sitting on the vine. Um, they said that the sugar levels are lower and not much fruit because of all the rain. So it's been a wet year. Seven inches of rain during bloom, and they said that annihilated the crop. Later, or last year, they had 28 tons of Albertino, uh, and they got seven this year. And they said that this year is the worst year in 25 years, uh, worse than even 2011. And that year, they had a good summer. But uh, that was the year of the hurricanes, Irene and Lee. But this year is worse than that. Uh, they, uh, all of that's from uh, uh, Bordy Winery. Uh, Hurricane Florence moved up into the Appalachians and it spread rain through West Virginia and parts of Ohio. And different areas there are getting a lot of rain at a bad time. Right there in Harvest, it just hurting a lot of them. Uh, Florence has brought rain to some areas of Ohio, but it's uh, uh, not as much as was anticipated in some areas. Chemistry looked good. Acids are down. Sugars are getting to where they need to be. Cooler nights and ripeness for the reds are there. So the rain may force a little bit of early picking and may force peep onto the vineyards instead of machines. They are still pretty happy up in Ohio Valley in that area there. Uh, the uh, uh, Hans Walter Peterson, viticulture extension educator with uh, Finger Lakes Great Program at uh, Cornell, uh, said that the Ryzen to Harvest update on September 29th said the story of the growing season in the East is never really written until September is over. So that's really what's happened this year. That Hurricane Florence has went through dumped a lot of rain, caused the ground to be saturated, and uh, they're they're waiting to get it dry enough so they can go out there and, and do what they need to do to get the grapes into the tanks. So that's what I was looking for. That's what I was trying to find there when we were talking about rains and stuff. So uh, Hopefully they get through that. There won't be much of a problem because... Uh, when you start getting that much rain right at harvest, it, it creates a mess. Mendocino County Fire. Let's go to the fire tractor here. I uh, I haven't been talking too much about the fires, uh, but Mendocino County Fire, it's the largest fire that California's ever seen as far as acreage goes. It set a new record. Uh, wow, about Three weeks ago, it set the record for the largest fire. That is 100% contained now. No longer an issue. It is a uh, uh, contained fire. There is still fire in the west, and there's still smoke from the fires in the west, and it's still sending it east. Not so much in... Uh, Excuse me. Not so much Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, but northern part, North South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, and all that going on east. 
except for the Carolinas, and the storm has blown the smoke away from the Carolinas, uh, which is, you know, about the only good thing about the storm, uh, Florence. But uh, heavy smoke pockets around the Great Lakes and stuff. So that's from the fires out west. There is quite a few fires still going, although the Mendocino fire has been controlled. Uh, no fires in Washington State at the time. Oh, I let me take that back. The map just took time to to show it to me. Uh, there are fires in uh, out there in Washington State. Uh, one around Yakima, Seattle, and then a lot of them in northern Washington, uh, up in the uh, Crescent Mountain area and uh, uh, northern ends of Washington, only a couple of them in, uh, okay, let's see, we need to move this, there we go, only two or three of them in Oregon, a couple of them in Willamette Valley, uh, around Medford and stuff, the Mendocino Fire in California has been controlled, it's no longer active, there's only two fires in California, and they're up uh, northern part uh, one right on the border of Oregon, and then another one looks like uh, what fire is this? Is a Delta fire, which is uh, still burning pretty pretty strongly. There are two or three fires in Nevada, none of them affecting wineries or anything or vineyards there. Uh, there is. Oops, we want that closed. Let's close that. Uh, and. Uh, We've got fires ranging all up and down Idaho right now. It's not cool enough to stop those. And in western Montana, there's quite a few up by, uh, well, Kalispell and, and the area there. There's quite a few fires going on in that region uh, north of Helena and uh, north of Missoula, actually, Montana. I've been to Missoula. I met some fire finders there in Missoula many years ago. Uh, strange group of people, although they thought I was strange because I was skydiving just for fun. They said they did it for a job, and they wouldn't do it for fun. Uh, then, let's see, we've got uh, five fires in Utah, one just south of Flagstaff in Arizona, uh, six of them going on in Colorado, all in the western end of Colorado. Uh, most of them, well, pretty big, uh, Bull Drew fire at uh, far western Colorado, 32,500 acres. Uh, so it's there's some big fires still going on out west. They're saying that's 105 days longer of the season left. Currently, 69 wildfires who I have talked to over the last couple of weeks, none of them seem to be affecting the wineries any. Uh, they've been pretty pretty clean, and, and the fires have been in areas where they're not affecting the wineries, which is a good thing. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a problem, because a lot of the large wineries uh, are rejecting smoke exposed lake and Mendocino County grapes and this is where a lot of the growers sell them to the large wineries uh, the uh, most notably Constellation brand and Treasury Wine Estates which are two of the largest wineries or wine groups in the in the world, <laughs> if you will, are now exercising the option to skip a vintage with many growers. They've been rejecting a significant share of the wine grapes they source from Lake and Mendocino counties because of smoke taint. It hasn't affected the vineyards. I mean, it's been very lucky uh, from what everybody said and from what I've read and everything. Vineyards have not been affected directly by the fire. But the amount of fruit that has been rejected over possible smoke taint uh, is unknown. But it is 
appears to be at this time quite substantial. Uh, last year, California's North Coast harvested $1.5 billion in grapes. Um, and that's, you know, of course, if they're bought, they are not being bought. They're being uh, rejected. And again, we come back to this. There's no definition of smoke taint. Uh, it's only a partial understanding of the chemistry. And they, they say you really can't tell until the grapes are in the bottle or until the juice is in the bottle. And then you start detecting it. But Constellation Brands is one of the companies that have been turning down fruit from Lake and Mendocino counties. Um, and the fact that uh, due to the impact of the excessive heat, ash, and smoke caused by the Mendocino complex fire, and after careful analysis and a visit to the vineyards, they've determined that the grapes do not and will not meet the appropriate quality standards and other requirements as set forth in our contract. This is a letter constellation sent to the grape growers in Mendocino. So, uh, uh, I don't know. This this could impact, but who knows if it will or not. And there's a lot of grapes that are growing, and the only areas that have been impacted by these fires is the Mendocino and Lake Counties, and so very possibly could not uh, could be uh, just there, and they got more than enough grapes. They've been measuring to detect a uh, uh, glucol and four methylglucol uh, to find out if it has smoke taint. They're saying that uh, there's other markers in there, but these two I just read you are recognized as vital in assessing smoke taint risk. Uh, basically, O Cressel. M cresol, P cresol, syringe gold, and methyl syringe gold. And if they detect these, they say it's going to show that the grapes are affected by smoke. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens more on that, but as it stands right now, they've been been uh, rejecting them. Uh, the allied grape growers of that area has been in discussions with Constellation Brand. Constellation is big. You don't, it, it's hard to describe how big Constellation Brands is when it comes to grape. You probably, I would venture to say that 50% of the wines you drink are Constellation Brands. And it's just because they're there. They're all over the place. They're reasonably priced wines and stuff, and they're just, they're all over the place. So, um, Chairman of the Lake County Wine Grape Commission, David Weiss, said he could not estimate how many growers in Lake County have had their fruit rejected. But uh, he said among the growers, it turns out Weiss is among the growers who have had his fruit rejected. Uh, one of his winery clients with whom he has had a long-term relationship rejected 45 to 50 tons of Sauvignon Blanc. And the fruit's still unpicked, he said. It's still on the vine. And this is this reports as of, uh, I received this today. So is that right? Yeah. Uh, this is dated September 20th uh, at 2 p.m. So uh, we're, we're up to date on this. This is Dateline. Um, so, uh, I don't know. He's uh, Smith, along uh, uh, Clark Smith, a winemaking consultant with Winesmith Wines and Spirits in Santa Rosa, uh, says that they're fo smokes, focusing on grape smoke damage and the assessment. He said what they end up with is a whole lot of grapes that might make some really good wines, but they just don't know. Uh, Smith said there's no clear definition of smoke taint, only a partial understanding of the chemistry. Uh, it is not a standard method, and so their contracts don't really conform to the analysis they developed because they developed the analysis after they wrote the contracts. S Smith said, this is a giant class action lawsuit waiting to happen. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, wait and see what happens on this. I uh, don't know if there's going to be any further action. I'm sure there will be. 
um, simply because it's uh, involves so much money. It just there's no way it's going to uh, just slowly pass by. So I'll try to keep informed as much as I can on this and what's going on with that. Uh, okay, let me read you a few things here. I, I went into that stuff there, but let me let me back up and read you a few things here that I I'll tell you about. I say read you. I actually tell you about canned wine range digs deep into a new design. Uh, there's a collection of 250 milliliter canned wines from Fourth Wave Wine. I never heard of fourth wave wine, but they got a new collection of 250 millimeter, uh, milliliter wines. Uh, the uh, drink design agency Domination Design made sure that the brand personality of the bottled range translated to the slimline cans that works in a 360-degree format uh, within the restrictions of a can printing. Uh, they're pretty cool cans. It's uh, Take It to the Grave uh, is on the four-pack box, uh, the four-pack uh, paper box that uh, shielded. The uh, design emphasis, the quality of the collection to show that canned wine is as high quality as a bottle of wine. is silver and gold foil. Um, metals and tasting notes replace the usual outdoor and on-the-go messaging associated with it. Uh, the wine comes in a four-can cluster. Uh, the cans have uh, uh, skeletons on it in different designs. So uh, no suggested retail price on this, but uh, it's uh, pretty cool. Uh, it doesn't. This is the Pinot Noir. It also doesn't say what other wines are going to be available through them. And the reason it doesn't sell this, and why I'm usually saying, oh, this has this and this, the reason this does this, because this is from a packaging design uh, periodical I get. And so because it's from packaging, they don't care what's in it. They just want to tell you about the packaging. So that's uh, that's there. Drink from the Moon. There's another a new one that's uh, out. Uh, although this is a sake. We've talked about sake a lot. Saki One expanded its line of Oregon Craft Moonstone Saki with its newest flavor. This is cucumber mint. Using premium rice milled to 58% of its original size, Moonstone Cucumber Mint offers a smooth and stimulating finish, and the flavors of cucumber mint are complicated by subtle notes of melon enhanced by water from Oregon's Willamette Valley. It features 12% alcohol by volume, which is low for a sake, and is sulfite-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and kosher. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's made with rice, so, you know, it's, it's going to be all those... Moonstone Cucumber Mint is available nationwide for a suggested retail price of $13. That's for a 750 milliliter. And then we've got uh, some brandy here, new brandy, a fine French brandy. A brand of Diego North America introduces Chirac VS Fine French Brandy. Chirac VS is a spirit craft from French grapes for a modern expression of classic French brandy, the company says. VS stands for very special, signifying the superior quality and craftsmanship of the new liqueur. It is distilled in traditional alembic copper pot stills and matured in French oak barrels. The brandy is available at select retailers in New York, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Houston, Miami, Atlanta, and Las Vegas for a suggested retail price of $35.99. That's for a $350 bottle. Or $750, $350. I was reading the $35. $750 bottle. That sounds good. I wish they would hurry and do that national distribution on it so I can try that out. I like a good brandy. And then... We've got oh, that the, the brandy, uh, by the way, is 
Uh, if you want to check it out, C-I-R-O-C-V-S dot com. That's the website. And uh, you can check out the branding. Uh, a uh, tank garage winery in Calistoga, California has came out with uh, uh, an addition to its line of F asterisk CK tomorrow wines. This is uh, a California rosé that is added to its lineup. The wine is a blend of 54% Cinso, 19% Maverde. 10% Grenache, 9% Vermentino, and 8% Syrah. Seems like a lot of work for a rosé, but hey. Contains floral and tropical fruit aromas with flavors of strawberry, peach, and rhubarb. Uh, F Tomorrow is available for purchase at the winery or online for a suggested retail price of $25. All that stuff they're blending into it, no wonder it costs $25. That's uh, select markets and online is where you can purchase that, by the way. Uh, Okay, let's see. Oh, I'm going to read you some quotes. I missed out the last couple, three weeks on trivia. But uh, this trivia here, I've got some quotes for you. Uh, this is from Jim Harrison, who is a writer. He says, quote, White wine is Apollonian, the wine of polite and dulcet discourse, frippish gossip, banal phone calls, and Ethel's quiche, a wine for those busy discussing closure, healing, the role of the caretaker, the evils of butter, the wine of the sincerity monoethic. It occasionally, of course, rises to greatness, and you may have some if you've been economically diligent or are an heir of some sort. I'm sure that even the cheaper varieties have brought thousands of soccer moms, sanity, healing, sex fantasies. Not a big fan of white wine, is that man? Um, There's another quote. Randall Graham, president of Bonnie Dune Vineyards, We California winemakers are giving people what they want. Power, intensity, softness, a mouthful of fruit, everything except soul, everything except real personality. Our wines are like a person who's so agreeable you want to murder him. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, Terry Theist, uh, he's a wine importer, says, how many of us have ships to launch these days. Champagne doesn't need an occasion. It is the occasion. There you go. I've said that over and over to you. Champagne. Anytime, any day, anywhere. Champagnes are fun. They're fun wines or easy wines or stuff that you you just, you know, indulge in. Robert Parker. We all know Robert Parker. He's a wine critic and publisher of the Wine Advocate. Uh, This is from an interview by the Atlantic Monthly. He says, quote, A wine goes in my mouth and I just see it. I see it in three dimensions. The textures, the flavors, the smells. They just jump out at me. I can taste with a hundred screaming kids in the room. When I put my nose in a glass, it's like tunnel vision. I move into another world where everything around me is just gone. And every bit of mental energy is focused on the wine. That's a good way to live there too. That's a good good idea. If you're going to taste wine, you know, block out everything and just go right to the to the meat. Max Schubert, who is a winemaker and creator of Grange, Australia's most famous wine. That's not arguably it is the most famous wine of Australia. He says, I quote, I like to believe that the wines with which I have been associated are descended from one ancestor vineyard established many years ago, marrying with another and another and even another, if you like, thus creating and establishing a dynasty of wines. These may differ in character year by year, but bear an unmistakable resemblance and relationship to each other and to the original ancestral starter member of the dynasty. 
this whole approach and concept has been of great assistance to me, not only in the technical sphere, but as a means of stimulating my imaginative powers as far as winemaking is concerned. All winemakers should possess a good, fertile imagination if they are to be successful in their craft. Which is a good point. You, you picture what you want, and you strive to get it, and if you don't, then you bend with what you can and achieve what you can. Which I suppose goes with a lot of things. This is from the Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant Newsletter, written by Jim Harrison. He says, a quote, One grows fatigued with wine and vineyard advertisements say, a pretty lady in a gossamer benoit on a vast lawn of a misty chateau, all of which has nothing to do with the grit and gristle, the profound artistry that is required to make good wine. Maybe the pretty lady is the owner's girlfriend and one hopes she takes him for a ride and joins the crew way out back that actually makes the wine. But then popular and media conceptions of winemaking are at the actual process what romance novels are to our native sexuality. That's true. It's it's very glamorous and very intimate winemaking. People think it's it's something that well more than it is, but it is fun. I do it. And I did it, and it's it's really really fun. A couple more quotes, again, from Kermit Lynch. Men seem to believe that they are wine experts just because they are men. When they stick their nose into a glass of wine, they think it would be unmanly to say something wrong or stupid. So they get uptight. It is difficult to taste properly when you are uptight. Fear constricts the flow of blood to the taste buds. As I have witnessed so many times, a woman tends to stick her nose into a glass and say the first thing that pops into her head, fearlessly. And it is an amazing how often such spontaneous responses are appropriate and interesting. Women approach wine with their noses wide open, and the directness of an unselfconscious reaction can be refreshing. And women can smell better than men, by the way. I mean, that was my little bit at the end there, but... Women do have much better noses than men. This is from Myla Hanley. She's a winemaker and general partner of Hanley Cellars in Anderson Valley, California. It's women's unique feminine nature and their nurturing qualities that leave them better prepared than men to make great wine. Put it another way, if you need to get a square peg in a round hole, you might want to go get a man for that job. However, if you need to coax the very best out of a living thing, turning it into a unique reflection of its origin, then I think you want the nurturing, patience, intuitive qualities women seem to have in great supply. And the last one here. This is by Albert de Lanine. He's a co-editor of Domaine de la Berlin Conti. Co-director, I said, actually, director. I'm not very interested in words anymore. When I taste wine, I let the poetry of it wash over me. Wine has become poetry for me. It doesn't need words anymore. Hmm. And here's a sub-note. The wines of Domaine de la Romane Conte are some of the most expensive in the world. Uh, in 1999, the Domaine's Grand Cru wine from the tiny Romaine Conti vineyard cost more than $1,000 a bottle on release. And generally, less than 1,000 cases of the wine are produced each year. So, he doesn't try to express what it's like. He just enjoys it and a wash over. So, there you go. So a few quotes, a few trivia quotes. I haven't said trivia for a while, so I filled you up on those. Here's something I found. And... I want to talk about. The question was asked, why is Apothic Red such a popular wine? And the answer is, and the answer is by a professional wine and spirits journalist who's been doing it for the past decade, James Romanow, answers, sugar. Then more sugar, 
then even more sugar. Dried table wine, traditionally, uh, from 1980 and earlier, had less than two grams a liter of residual sugar. Now, that's the sugar not fermented into alcohol by the yeast. Oh, two grams of residual sugar. Residuals, leftover sugar, not fermented. In the mid-1990s, yeast factories bred yeast that could survive in higher, higher alcohol wines. So they could continue to ferment the wine well past the 14% alcohol mark that once was the highest achievable. Such wines felt terrifically hot on the tongue. That's where you need on a, a, a good term to describe a high alcohol wine is a, a hot wine. This wine is hot, which means just the filling on the tongue. Sugars thickened the viscosity and balanced the acidity of a wine and hide the alcohol from the tongue. Okay, so I just, you know, think about this. Sugar thickens the wine, thickens the viscosity, and the acid is not quite as noticeable on a sweeter wine, and the alcohol is not quite as noticeable. Suddenly, all red wines on the shelf were 14% with 6 grams liter residual sugar, and the public fell in love with them. In the 90s. The other thing that yeast provide is the secondary aromas, exotic fruit aromas in particular. Malolactose fermentation, which is a bacterial fermentation, turns harder malic acid into creamier lactic acid. And this texture caused by the distals was palatable uh, by drinkers and made them feel like they really knew what they were talking about. That's why people, oh, I love a good buttery Chardonnay. Well, the butter covers this a little bit of that, uh, taking away that, that uh, harder malic acid and turn into that softer creamier. Time to I'm sipping on a glass of my, one of the last ones of my rosé, Florida State Winery Rosé. The aroma's coming out a little bit better now, but still the aroma's a little lacking. I'm a little sad about that, but the flavor is really nice. Let me take a sip. Nice fruitiness. Little bite of acid, but I don't mind that. Engineer doesn't like it. She says it's too much acid, but I like it. Uh, by the year 2000, wines were becoming thicker, less apparently acidic, and they were definitely sweeter. And the last problem that the wineries were facing was tannins. Initially, California ate Bordeaux as the all-time best wine. But Bordeaux is built to age for two decades in the bottle, if not more. So the tannin molecules are quite short and abrasive when they go into the bottle. People were buying Cab Sauv on release two years old and were getting tired of the rough abrasion of the tannins. They were shifting in droves to grapes that provided longer chain tannins, which Pinot Noir was a good example, uh, that didn't need a decade of aging. The winemakers responded by racking, which is essentially pouring the wine from one barrel to another frequently to aerate it. And this softened the tannins, or lengthened the tannin molecules, and it softened them, which people started to love it. Oh, it's got tannin in it, but they, you know, people still referred to it as, oh, this is this is bitter. But it's, a lot of times it was the tannins they were tasting. But as they start to soften, they start to enjoy it more. Again, we're talking in the in the two thousands early 2000s. About then, Gallo Brain Trust released, uh, I'm sorry, about then, the Gallo Brain Trust realized that if you connected the above dots, the logical conclusion was a thick, sweet, non-acidic wine with no apparent tannins. Yeah, that makes sense, because that's what people were like. The crash of 08 gave them the opportunity Sundry Ventures loans were called, and they couldn't afford to hold inventory. And that's what happened, too, a lot of times. Uh, 
Barefoot Winery started up because of a crash, and they got the grapes and uh, made wine barefoot. Uh, it, you can go back and listen to uh, the episode where I talked to the founders of Barefoot Winery. Interesting, interesting interview. They're a great couple, and uh, they told all about it. There's a book out that they did, too, telling about how it started and all that about it. Very interesting book. I uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a good read. So, But this is what happened. The 08 crash gave an opportunity. Um, Ventures loans were called, and they couldn't afford it, so a lot of the grapes were being sold. Gallo bought Zimadol, which is always a crowd favorite because of the high alcohol and low acidity. They also bought a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot inventory for pennies on the dollar. They bought the highest alcohol wines in all markets, which theoretically should have been the lowest sugar. But ripe Zen can be both very high alcohol and very high residual sugar. Many people theorize that Gallows adds sugar, although I believe the Gallows deny it. Uh, to the Zimadol. If you actually look at the residual sugar on, in, on the Zimadol, especially Gallo on the lighter ones, it's higher than what you would expect it to be. Net result, a monster wine that is at best off dry and really should be identified as semi-sweet. Uh, no apparent acidity, nice smooth viscosity, and 15% alcohol. People who couldn't drink dry wine suddenly could have these big, elegant glasses on their table as they drank what is essentially vermouth-less the added herbs. <laughs> so says this writer. Incidentally, the Gallows, no fools they, also priced the wine 20% higher than the mass market wines. This added even more perceived quality to the mass market consumer which is true, you know. It, I'm paying two buck chuck. It must be a cheap wine. If I'm buying, you know, a $12 chuck, that's much, much better. Okay. The stuff sold like ice cubes in a heat wave. The gallows were even richer. The punters thought they were connoisseurs. Everybody was happy. Today, since about 2015... Traditional dry, expensive table wine from California is now running around 10 grams per liter residual sugar and higher. That's high, people. Let me tell you, that is high. The wine spectator cheers it on. According to massive scores like the 94 it gave Maomi, a Pinot Noir version of the apothic recipe. They applaud Helen Turley, who insists on grapes being picked at 28 bricks and higher. And she makes wines at 17% alcohol. Give the people what they want, then give them even more of it. That's why Apothic Red is so popular now. That's why you'll find Apothic Red is a pretty uh, pretty sweet red wine. It's very popular. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, really, but it tends to be sweet and the alcohol's, you know, reasonably balanced. Now, speaking of sugars... And to end up here, I, I'm going to give you some technical stuff on sugars, which it might help. I might have went through this before. I don't remember. I, I think maybe I did. But I, I, want to, I want to go through it again just simply to get you caught up and get you focused on it since I just was reading about the sugars in that article. Let me find it here. Okay. Sugar content. Bricks, B-R-I-X, is not a true measure of fermentable sugar. Two juices with identical degrees bricks, and degrees in this context means percent, basically. I mean, give or take, but about percent. With identical degrees, bricks may have very different final alcohol concentrations due to varying amounts of fermentable sugars. 
Sugar concentration increases rapidly in grapes as they mature. This increase is usually due to sugar movement from the leaves to the fruit. During the final stages of berry development, berry dehydration may also contribute significantly to the final sugar concentration. Now, that's, let me editorialize a little bit on. This is why when you get rains that are coming in toward, right toward harvest, the final concentration of sugars with a little dehydration of the berry gives you a higher sugar levels, gives you a higher bricks level on a harvest. But when you start getting rains in and these plants, the grapevines are picking up this moisture and feeding it into the plant and into the grapes, it creates a less sugary or less concentrated sugar in the grape because it doesn't get rid of the juice, the, the, the water concentration, the water content in there. And so it makes for a flabby grape. It makes for a, a, a watered-down grape when you make it into wine. So if you just use all those types of wines, you won't notice the difference. All right. Bricks is a measure of soluble solids in juice and must. The soluble solids in grape juice are primarily sugars. Organic acids, however, have a significant impact on bricks, especially with unripe grapes. Degrees bricks is used as an estimate of sugar concentration and often as a pre predictor of potential alcohol, but it is not a true measure of fermentable sugar. Two juices with identical degrees bricks may have very different final alcohol concentration due to varying amounts of fermentable sugars. The sum of glucose and fructose measures the two main sugars present in juice that can be fermented by yeast. So glucose plus fructose is the two main that can be fermented. This analysis provides a sound basis for estimates of alcohol ethanol in the wine. This additional analysis is an important supplement to degrees bricks testing when final ethanol predictions are critical. So you can have it tested beforehand to see where your degrees bricks are of both your glucose and fructose and get an idea of where your alcohol is going to end up. Okay, it's important to note that in ripe fruit, glucose plus fructose numbers often appear higher than the corresponding degrees bricks results. This is because degrees bricks is measured as a percentage by weight meaning bricks values are greatly influenced by the density of juice. Again, and I go back to what I just said, if the grapes are full of moisture, full of water, you don't have as dense of uh, bricks because it is the juice is lighter, it's not as heavy. So that's why you don't want those rains right, right before harvest. Glucose plus fructose is measured as weight by volume and is independent of juice density. A must with 23.3 degrees bricks will not give you 23.3% by volume fermentable sugar. I actually give you, give you less. So, That is, you know, we were talking about about bricks. Now, bricks. Let me give you a definition of bricks here, just to explain this. Degrees bricks is a measurement of the apparent concentration of sugar. It is commonly used for grape juice and must, and is expressed as a percentage by weight. One degree bricks is defined as one gram of sucrose and 100 grams of aqueous solution. 
when the solution contains dissolved solids other than pure sucrose, as in the case for grape juice and must, the degrees bricks is only an approximation of dissolved sugar. So we in the industry do a lot of basing on degrees bricks and we harvest on degrees bricks and all that, but that's not the final thing. It 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 varies. It causes all sorts of variations on that. So I wanted to I want to clarify that and read that to you here. Okay, now, a couple more things. That One more thing. I'll say not a couple. One more thing uh, before I end here. I've been talking about this for the last... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the last couple, three weeks. And I haven't got around to doing it, so we will do it now. How high are wine taxes in your state? Now, this is what the winery pays for taxes. This is actually what you end up paying. Um, this is built right in to your cost per bottle. This is the excise tax. This is how much the state gets, each state gets on wine. Uh, it's this is what well, good way to explain this. I would have a back room, the wine could be made and set in this room. This is pre tax room. This is, and everybody has their pre tax storage area or their pre tax warehouse or pre tax whatever they want to call it anywhere. But it is the area where once you've made the wine, you stack it up, you don't have to pay tax on it. Once you move it out of that room through this door, wall, garage door, whatever it is, once you move it out of that room into the sales area, you're required to pay an excise tax on it. If you ship it, if you sell it, if you do anything, you're required to pay an excise tax on it. It's a state excise tax. So you don't have to pay excise tax on everything once it's made. Although I suppose you could if you've got the money and then not pay it until you make another batch. But we would take inventory at the end of every month and subtract the difference of what was in the back with what is not in the back. That would be the amount we would pay excise tax on. And that's part of the paperwork and all that other stuff that you have to do when you do wineries. Now, Many states impose additional layers of taxes that are that vary based on the wine type, the container size, alcoholic content, place of production, place purchase, and other factors. Now, for example, Arkansas and Tennessee levy case fees in addition to per gallon taxes. Minnesota levies bottle fees that vary according to the size of the bottle with standard bottles taxed at a penny per bottle and miniature bottles taxed at a rate of 14 cents per bottle. <coughs> Excuse me. So, when they do this, again, it creates a whole bunch of more paperwork for the wineries and everything, and we've talked to wineries and talked about the paperwork and all that to just about everybody. I try to ask them what they think of it. Most people are pretty comfortable with the paperwork level. When taxes are levied at the production, wholesale, and retail level, vendors ultimately pass along the cost of these to the consumers. However, some alcohol taxes are paid directly by consumers at the rate determined by the state. Four states in the District of Columbia levy sales taxes specifically to alcoholic beverages. It doesn't list the four states here, but uh, you pay alcohol tax uh, in those places. Most states use the licensing system to regulate the sale of alcoholic beverages. Other states, known as control states, impose a government monopoly on the wholesale or retail of beer, wine, spirits, all alcoholic beverages. Wine control states include Mississippi, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, a lot of it is just 
alcohol. How much is your alcohol cost? All right. Now, if I can put this on the Facebook page, I will. I Well, I shouldn't say that. If I can have my engineer put this on the Facebook page, she will, uh, if it can be pulled up from here. But due to the differences in alcohol content, state tends to tax wine at a higher rate than beer, but at a lower rate than distilled spirits, which is very true. Although if wine passes like 17% alcohol, that's usually taxed at a higher rate. Kentucky has the highest rate for excise tax at $3.47 for a gallon, which is high. Oh, my gosh. I thought Utah was the highest, but uh, it may be because they don't have it on this map here. They don't show Utah's tax, so... I think Utah is like $5 and something a gallon. That's what we were told by the wineries we talked to when we were interviewing them. They said it was something like $5 a gallon. Ah, it chokes you just thinking about that. Followed by Alaska at $2.50, Florida at $2.25, Iowa $1.75, Alabama and New Mexico tied at $1.70. The lowest, California and Texas at $0.20 cents a gallon. Wisconsin, 25 cents, and then Kansas and New York at 30 cents a gallon. Uh, so these are the uh, uh, taxes that on there. Uh, this little map shows Kentucky at number 347, but it does not show Utah, Wyoming, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, or uh, New Hampshire. So... Because of that, I, I think Utah is higher than Kentucky. I really do. Uh, different states, for example, Alabama is a dollar seventy a gallon. Montana, dollar six. Nevada, seventy cents. Oregon, sixty-seven cents. Washington, eighty-seven. Uh, Missouri, forty-two cents a gallon. We just talked to a winery from Missouri yesterday, forty-two cents. Uh, North and South Carolina, dollar and dollar eight, respectively. So, this is the tax that wineries pay to uh, for every gallon that they move out of their non-tax room into their tax room. So, this is what you pay. So, when you go to different states and you have tax to pay on the wine, some of them are definitely going to be cheaper than others. And it is because of the excise tax. Then you have those few states in there that are uh, charge you for, uh, you directly for alcohol sales and not affected by the winery. So uh, that's it for tonight. I'll uh, see if we can't get this up on the Facebook page, and you can take a look at the little map yourself. But I've been wanting to talk about that for ever, and I keep forgetting about it. Yeah, um, yeah I I was uh, looking at the Tank Garage Winery site uh, and looked up that wine, and I can't I can't really tell what is on the label, but uh, there's a picture on it, and I can't tell what it's a picture of. It doesn't look right to me, but uh, Anybody out there knows what's on there? Um, I'm just curious. It it doesn't. I don't know. It's strange. Um, also, yeah, I went is. back and they have a picture. They have a picture of it here, and uh, on this, you know, and I can't forget what that picture is either. It just, you know, I know. Um, I know it's two people, but I, I can't tell. But is it really? You know, I don't know. It's just it's odd. Yeah. But it, the it's wine, uh, this. Series of wines is F asterisk C K tomorrow. That is the right. series of wines. So, so yeah, I don't know what the picture is either. Yeah, strange. I looked at that, and then uh, I went back in our archives. Uh, Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harver of Barefoot Wines and Bubbly in Modesto, California, uh, were go. on the show on on, and this is interesting. September nineteenth, yesterday, back in two thousand thirteen. So five years ago, five years ago, and they are authors, authors of the Barefoot Spirit: How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. It's a New York Times bestseller. 
Uh, that was the name of the book. So, uh, yeah, we had Michael Houlihan and Bob, Bonnie Harvey. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good that book. Cool. I, I I it. Good, but, yeah. yeah, well, thank you. That, five years ago. Wow. That's, that's, five years, I, yeah. Jeez, I didn't think it was that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some episodes way back there, but uh, yeah, I found it. I, I did a quick search for uh, Barefoot, and boom, there it was. And I found oh, references in my notes, my my 30,000-page notes here, but it was all after that, I guess, with um, when we had Gallo, uh, Stephanie on here, I guess. Uh, and uh, Right. We, we, yeah. we, we make several references. You know, they're number one at this time. They're number one at this time. So uh, we made several yeah. references, but I didn't find notes of them being on the show because that must have been before that. But uh, I mean, before I started this file. But um, I guess, now that I know the date, I could look it up. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, this started in 2014, so yeah, it was before then. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so five years ago yesterday they were on the show. So yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and you bring it up, and it was yeah. I, I looked at the date, and I go, wow, that was pretty. Wow, awesome. that, was, that that was that was a coincidence. That was not planned. I have to admit. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. Awesome. Um. Yeah. So uh, I guess other than that, I don't have anything, uh, no other questions or anything I was going to bring up. But, uh, eh, okay. Um, I guess we will uh, close the show for this week and be back on uh, September 27th, uh, next Thursday. And um, enjoy the fall-like weather wherever you are. It's going to be great. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) it's coming up a couple days. You know, I'm just, I'm... We're cleaning yeah, we, out uh, the summer shorts and digging out the, the winter clothing and stuff. And so that's right. Getting ready. Yeah. Getting ready for the temperature to drop. Getting ready for it's it to drop. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a well, welcome uh, drop. We'll see everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see everybody uh, next Thursday, um, September 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and enjoy your wines. Uh, thanks again. I know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good night. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.